Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered for Wednesday, August 28, 2019. Roland is off today. I'm attorney Robert Patillo. According to a new report, the number of Flint special needs students has increased by 56% since the water crisis began. We'll be joined by Flint's mayor today. A court rules that the New Orleans debtors prison scheme violates the constitutional rights of the city's poor citizens. Montgomery, Alabama could possibly soon have its first ever black mayor. The fourth white supremacist has been arrested and convicted over his role in the attack of a 20-year-old African-American man in Charlottesville. Uh, He is now going to jail. And the Royal Oaks Michigan police officer who questioned a black man when a white woman claimed he was staring at her has resigned. 
And get this, a man suspected of triple homicide leads police on a naked chase and gets taken in alive. You can guess that he has the complexion for protection. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. five years since this Flint water crisis began, and the problem continues. Last week, the city spilled two million gallons of raw sewage into the river, and to add insult to injury, a recent, recent study shows that the number of Flint special needs students has increased by 56% since the water crisis began. Joining me to talk about the growing problem in Flint is Mayor Karen Weaver. Hello. Hi. Uh, hi how are you doing, Ms. Mayor? I'm doing just fine. All right, so can you kind of explain to, uh, to us what is going on and how, how are, has this problem persisted for so long? Okay, so what is going on in Flint? There are a lot of things going on in Flint. Let me just start by saying one is Flint has made progress. I do want people to know that. We are going to be finished with the lead service line replacement this fall, which is a year ahead of schedule. So that's a really, really good thing. Uh, we're working on the restoration, so the roads and the lawns are getting fixed. I'll tell you where our issue uh, still remains and why I am continuing to tell people to stay on bottled and filtered water. The first reason is we haven't completed the lead service line replacement. And, and until we get all of those lead and galvanized lines out, which I said will be this fall, I will continue to you know, err on the side of caution. The other thing we've talked about, and I've had this this conversation with state government and with federal government. While we can change the pipes and have brand new pipes, we can have our water testing, you know, very well because it is. Uh, people's in-home plumbing, people that, you know, just like pipes were old, in-home plumbing and fixtures were old in some homes. And so they were corroded by that water as well. And so when you have your plumbing, your fixtures, your appliances that have been damaged, you still have the, the, that potential for lead uh, in your system. And so that's what we've been asking the state and federal government for funding to complete the project. They haven't done that. You know, they started by giving us 4,000 new fixtures. Well, that's a drop in the bucket, and we need more. And they did that the first year, and they stopped, and nothing else ever came. So that's one of the challenges. I also heard you talk about what was going on with the children in Flint and our special education rates going up. And that's something that is, it's not a surprise when you see what happened when you had uh, lead poisoning to our children, to this community. And that was one of the things we talked about was we knew there were going to be some cognitive damage, damages to our young kids as a result of this. And we knew it was going to be an increase in special education in, in the criminal justice system, you know, and, 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 and 
and mental health issues. And that's one of the other things we've talked about. And that is a reason that we've asked for funding for the lead registry. And, and what we got was five years of funding. But people are, you know, we had a public health crisis here in the city of Flint. And we said, we don't know how this is going to play out. Some, you know, we're seeing things right now, but some things may not manifest for five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years. And that's why it's important for this lead registry to be funded for a long period of time so we can track physical health outcomes, so we can see what kinds of interventions and what kinds of services make a positive difference. And so that's another thing that we're continuing to ask for money from the government for. You know, the federal government gave us five years of funding. Well, one year is up, so we have four years of funding left for this lead registry, which makes no sense for a city that had a public health crisis and is continuing to deal with the public health crisis. You know, we've... So, so those are some of the things going on. Well, you know, we've known since the fall of the Roman Empire that lead and water leads to mental and physical health issues for, for human exactly. beings. Uh, what, what, what do we need to do to get our national candidates, the people running for president, got 25 people plus running for president right now, how can we get them to take the Flint issues seriously and make it a primary campaign concern because Flint is not the only uh, municipality in this country going through this. It's just the most, uh, exactly. the, the most public one. Exactly. And that's what we've said is pay attention to what's going on in Flint because what happened here, you know, we're a poster child for so many other communities across this country. And you better pay attention to what's going on in here because it's going to affect, you know, uh, people all across the United States because of this aging, damaged infrastructure and because people have taken water quality standards uh, for granted for such a long time. And the standards that are in place are old, antiquated, and outdated and they need to be addressed and it needs to be taken seriously because it's like you said uh, we're not the only one but we've been the most visible and vocal and, uh, and 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 we have said you know I've said don't let us go through a crisis and not learn from us so this never happens again and that's what they need to do I, you know I don't want them stopping through Flint for a photo op this is serious and this is about people and that's what we have to remember is to put people and public health and well-being over profit and that's what hasn't happened and, you know, one of the things I think people forget is the genesis of this problem was a consent decree uh, with the state in order to fill a budget shortfall. Uh, so to try exactly. to save to try to save two hundred million dollars over the course of twenty five years, you divert it from the Detroit water treatment facility to build a new facility for stopgap measure with the Flint River, which resulted in this entire uh, issue and also the Legionnaires outbreak between twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. Yeah. Let's not forget we had we've had thirteen deaths as a result of that as well. And so uh, with that, what should the general public do? How can we pressure officials both on the state level and the federal level to help Flint, help other municipalities that are dealing with this lead issue? Uh, even the federal government didn't hit on the lead issue until I think 1991. So we have millions right. of miles of antiquated lead and iron piping from the 1920s through the 1960s. What can we do as the general public to fix this is issue? Yeah. You know what? One of the things is we have to speak up and we, we have to come out and vote. And that's where we've been lacking as well. We've got to come out and vote 
because your vote is your voice and it matters and you better watch who you're putting in office. You better pay attention and get involved. That's one of the things that has to happen. Uh, something else is I'm going to go back to uh, when I was talking about the, the water quality stances. They're old. You know, when they say, you know, so in Michigan, we went from what was acceptable was 15 parts per billion and, and now to 12. And we're supposed to be excited because that's low. You know, that well, that's the lowest there is now. Well, that's not exciting to say the, the standards are going to be 12 parts per billion. That makes no sense because we know that is going to damage children. It's going to damage people. It's going to damage seniors, those with compromised immune systems. And we don't know what it does to the rest of us. So we, we, we can't go for the status quo. That's the other thing. And then they put unfunded mandates in place where they say, okay, uh, you've got to change all of the, the lead service lines, but they don't give the municipalities the funding to be able to do that. You know, people said, what did you all do on the private side? Well, we had to sue, you know, so the state and we, we had to sue the state to get the funding and the federal government uh, under the Obama administration gave us $100 million for that. So we were able to go on the private side, but we have to watch out for these unfunded mandates because because municipalities can't afford them and people, the private, the you know, the, when they say, well, that's private, so you have to take care of it, too many families aren't in a position to be able to, you know, pay for that. Mm. You know, they're not in that position. And so you're setting uh, uh, cities and, and, and places up for failure when you do that. And, and, and so just just to close out, because you, you mentioned the sure. you, you mentioned the part about, you know, 15 parts per billion. I think at one point there were some water samples taken in Flint that were between 500 and 13,000 parts per billion when it comes to uh, lead concentrations. Uh, mm -hmm. not, not to mention the manipulation by previous administrations and previous officials when it comes to the testing criteria. I think the EPA standards were that you had to have a six-hour six hold uh, before testing in order to make the determination of the parts per billion. And you had local officials who were doing a flush right before the... They were uh, doing flushes, yeah, they were right. Doing flushes so right beforehand. Look at those instructions that are put in place because they gave out bogus instructions. And, and, and the instructions that were given were, well, yeah, when you flush, you are going to get lower levels. And so that's what you have to watch is how they tell you to do that and putting standards in place for that. There should be a protocol on appropriate flushing. And that's something we've really been talking with our residents and educating them about because it's important to know uh, when you're getting your testing done the appropriate way to test to get the right reading but but i do want to touch on something because you know the headlines have read that the city dumped sewage into the flint river and that is not what happened we had a storm here in the city of flint we had a rainstorm and we got inches and inches of and inches of rain in a short period of time and the reservoir at the plant flooded that was what happened. So it wasn't like it was human waste <laughs> sewage that got into our water. It wasn't that kind of thing. Uh, and we were able to address that because the, the, the sewage was already caught. So this was other, you know, uh, so what went, you know, what, what happens when there's a flood? And that was treated. So I don't want it to sound like the city of Flint was negligent and, and, and dumped waste into the Flint River because with everything we've been through, I really don't want that to be the headline. But that was what they put out there. That was the that was how uh, the 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 media put that out there, and that was not what happened. It was Mother Nature having a storm in the city of Flint, and that was something that we we weren't prepared for. We weren't prepared for that amount of rain in that short period of time, and the flooding took place. So that was what happened with that.
You know, we've, we've just spent millions and millions of dollars like I think it was $36 million cleaning the Flint River. So I just wanted to, you know, get that out there as well. Well, I, I think it's very important for people to understand that now Flint is un, in good hands, under good leadership. There are people who are competent and in charge. One, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Keep us updated on what we can do uh, in the rest of the country to help Flint, help the water situation there. Thank you, Mayor Weaver. And, and, and keeping this message out there helps us all. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And so do the residents of this city. Thank you so much. Mayor Karen Weaver from Flint, Michigan. Uh, joining okay. us, uh, thanks. Joining us now on our panel is political and social analyst Dr. Cleo Monago and also former chair of the National Bar Association PAC attorney A. Scott Bolden. How you doing, guys? Good, real good. All right, so on this Flint issue, why is it this has not penetrated and percolated up to being a national issue? We've had two presidential debates so far, eight hours of conversation, and I don't think we've heard anybody even mention the issues of Flint because for every Flint, there's also a Gary, there's also a uh, an Atlanta, there's also a Baltimore where you have similar issues, similar piping and infrastructure issues, but no one is talking about it on a national level. It seems like when it's just us, it's just us. There must be a plan for it. Flint can't catch, catch a break. Uh, Mayor Weaver is absolutely right about this flooding piece because the headline said uh, sewage dumped into the Flint River. The reality is, is that the residents of Flint, they don't get their water any longer from the Flint River. Yeah, that was a temporary... It's a temporary piece uh, mm -hmm. that, that went south that didn't ever worked out. But then they readjusted and they they got their they, they went back to getting their water from Lake Superior, which mm -hmm. is uh, uh, off off the I was about to say off the coast of Detroit, but it <laughs> runs through Detroit in their in in, in their deal. Uh, they are talking about it when you talk broad, broadly about climate change and infrastructure, but not specifically about Flint or any of the other urban centers. And uh, it really is a form of environmental injustice, if you will, environmental discrimination, because even the DNC had a chance to have a debate on climate change and the environment, and they voted that down at their recent meetings last week. And so um, it costs to take care of poor people and to provide good health care and uh, environmental standards and all the things that all of our communities deserve, need, and want. But poor people, it costs a lot. And nobody really, whether it's public funds or private funds, just based on how they allocate funds, Nobody wants to spend the money to take care of poor people, whether it's water, environment, uh, health care, uh, insurance, you name it. And that's why it's not at the forefront of the presidential debate right now. It should be. Absolutely. Dr. Monago, you know, we, we had a situation where May 4th, 2016, President Obama went to Flint, said the water was safe, got himself a glass of water, drank it on stage. That was uh, dangerous. Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, it looked dangerous. Well, well it's, not that it, it's not that it was dangerous, but it was political malpractice because basically he was telling the people there mm -hmm. that the water is safe and now we got mm -hmm. a 56 percent spike in the special education uh, mm -hmm. because they believe the president who said the water was safe so we're well, the damage had been done already yeah the, 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 those yeah. those pipes have mm -hmm. been corroding for mm -hmm. years and yeah. to, for the president to say the water is safe and drink the water uh who knows what the lasting effect of that is well, this... and we haven't seen anything better with president trump so what should we do when it seems like both parties don't care mm. well that obama went to flint and said the water was drinkable happened around the time that this issue was in the press all the time. It was a it was a hot issue. I think the reason why he went there and that it was talked about and did all that is because he wanted to look good and 
take advantage but of it. But the money. feds did give them plenty of money. Gave them a lot of money, not plenty of money. You mean Flint. But a lot of money. Gave Flint a lot of money. Right. He did keep his commitment on that. And they're, they've replaced these pipes. Well, that's uh, true. They've got a lot more work to do. That's true. And they I'm did that redeal about... with the Lake Superior. So there has been some progress made. Sure, but what's not true is that the water is good. That's not which. That's not what's true, and I think that Obama got caught up in, in the opticalness, if you will, of it all. And this gets back to your original question regarding why didn't it come up recently in the debates? Well, it's not the topic. Unfortunately, these presidents sexy, right? <laughs> unfortunately, these presidential candidates follow whatever is uh, media savvy. And that's why they talk about reparations, which they never talked about it before. <laughs> we had just had this commission mm-hmm. meeting mm-hmm. With, um, with Congress, and now it's, it's a hot topic. So unfortunately, as opposed to following what's right for the people and being concerned about the poor and being concerned about people's lives, people are concerned about being liked enough to get the popular vote. You know, remember one other thing, too. There are a number of civil lawsuits still pending over this. And so uh, whether they're suing the state <laughs> or suing private uh, sector participants in what occurred in Flint. Those cases, and there's several of them, and they're class actions, mm-hmm. are making their way through the federal and the state judiciary system, a judicial system uh, in uh, Michigan. So uh, arguably health help is on the way. Uh, the criminal indictments, be honest with you, those were dismissed by the judge, and, and rightfully so. Uh, that, that was a very, very high standard, going to be difficult to reach. But the real civil justice in all of this has to come through the federal and state courts, and I think it will. And when they do pay up and pay out, including the insurance carriers, uh, at least there will be some modicum of compensation or, or a lot of compensation to make uh, this as close to uh, right as possible. Yeah, I think they, we noticed that. At the very beginning of Mayor Weaver's conversation, she wanted to get the record straight, mm-hmm. let it know there was progress being mm-hmm. made. Okay. But I think it's important real quickly, Robert, to point out the fake news angle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard all over the country, national news, that sewage was flowing into the drinking water yeah. that, that, of Flint, Michigan. And that was fake news and a lie, and I think she took it personally. Mm-hmm. It might be also because she's a black woman running a city and she doesn't want that kind of reputation because it's racist, and it may or may not be racist that they lied and claimed that the water is not only full of lead now, but it's full of human sewage. Well, but that, that worked mm-hmm. for and the Republican well, well, narrative, though. Well, that, well, that headline worked for the Republican narrative. Well, it, it, I think it's a bipartisan failure because mm-hmm. it was a failure under Obama. It's been a failure under Trump. Under Trump. You had local officials who were Democratic, state officials who were Republicans, and all of it didn't work. So I think it's important for us to understand that. Uh, Turning to the news, a federal judge in Louisiana delivered a major victory to advocates of the poor who have argued that the criminal justice system across the nation exploits folks who can least afford to pay excessive court fees and fines. United States District Court Judge Sarah Vance ordered courts in Orleans, Paris to allow a neutral forum to determine whether defendants can afford to pay court fees before uh, sending them to jail for non payment. Uh, So, Scott, this is one of those things in criminal law that you find often, Mm -hmm. that the system is by its very nature rigged against the poor. You can violate your probation for not being able to pay your probation fees. You can get sentenced to a jail sentence because you don't have money. You end up in jail for a weekend or until you can make bond because you don't have money for a cash bond. Why is it so important that we take the economic discrimination out of the criminal justice system? Well, it's not really economic discrimination. They're looking for a way to force people to comply with orders and whether you're rich poor black or white if you don't comply with court orders and they're trying to get compliance 
and you've been either found guilty or this is part of your bail process. It's been the traditional way of forcing compliance. I think you and others are right that because of the widening gap, uh, wealth gap in our country, uh, we've got to figure out another way. I don't know what a neutral forum looks like because uh, in the judicial system, you have the administrative side of this that looks at what you're ability to pay, what you're available to pay, do you work, do you not? These are all factors that play in, but, but, but the problem is if you can't pay, and everyone knows in the courtroom you can't pay, the alternative is to go to jail to either not pay off your debt or to do something to force compliance. The problem is when you're in jail, right, how do you, how do you pay your child support? How do you pay court fees? Uh, are you going to waive the court fees if I if I choose jail or if economically I've got to go to jail? Mm -hmm. So this federal decision is the first step towards getting away from that, having a neutral form. But what does that look like, sound like, and feel like, and what's the alternative? Because right now, psychologically, the criminal justice system, all we know how to do is do two things. Charge defendants and those who break the law or lock them up. And none of that is about rehabilitation, job, job training, entrepreneurship training, or anything that's going to break the cycle of, of poverty. Well, one thing, Dr. Monaga, that uh, I've noticed from practicing law is putting people in jail doesn't give them any more money than they had when they went into jail. Mm -hmm. So if I couldn't pay the fine before I went to jail, let's mm -hmm. say I'm working a minimum wage job, something along those lines, or just, uh, just entered the workforce to try to pay these things off. Or I off. may lose my job. Yeah, you, you, put me in, you, put me in you put me in jail, I lose my job, I lose my house, I lose my car. Whatever progress I've made to getting back on my feet is now gone, and now when I get back out, I'm starting over from scratch, I'm, and often they re-enter the alternative economy, mm -hmm. which is what got them in jail in the first place. So mm -hmm. oh, oh, what do you think we need to do to focus more on restorative justice, you know, community service instead of paying a fine, uh, ways that you can work off the amount that you owe instead of uh, having to pay cash, and stopping the for-profit nature of the criminal justice system. One of the mm. biggest issues I've always found is you'll go to a community where every single building is boarded up, you know, the neighborhood is burnt down, and then you'll see a brand new shiny courthouse because they're getting so much money from these people convicted of crimes mm. that that is the nicest building in the entire area, the courthouse or the jail which is built there. Well, what you just mentioned in terms of the, the boarded buildings and the shiny courthouse has to do with a lack of decency and human integrity regarding how laws fall out and, what, and how people benefit or do not benefit from being punished for breaking the law. I'm real glad that this, this neutral form is being developed. I hope it becomes a national model for the rest of the country because, as you mentioned, I mean, I don't practice law, but it's logical that you cannot do anything while you're in jail to bring, you know, to, to raise bail. But I think it's a good idea that this is occurring, and even though it's an issue of, um, you mentioned the issue of um, compliance, mm -hmm. the bottom line is that the compliance issue does not make room for economic diversity. And, th mm -hmm. and that they're going to consider whether people can afford it or not before they pile all these fines and put them in jail is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, just like we have places like Ferguson, where black people were pulled over left and right, and this has been proven mm -hmm. by the DOJ investigation, mm -hmm. pulled over left and right to make money for the civic center in that, in that city, that goes back to what you said in terms of who's being valued. Mm -hmm. So at least in New Orleans, somebody is seemingly, seemingly valuing people in the poor, and hopefully to be a wake-up call for other people. I don't expect that to happen on a landslide basis. Why, as an alternative, why not put, every, you know, everyone that gets arrested, the jails around this country are full of young black men and women, brown black men and brown women and men, and instead of putting them in jail and putting them on, on some bail program, why don't you put them to work mm -hmm. and, and have them clean up the community? Their economic well, dollars for all of these community development programs and stuff, 
Why don't you put them to work to clean up the community, to learn a skill, oh, clean up the and, and you can keep and you can keep an eye on them, if you will. You can have your compliance by having them come back to court because they're working to clean up the community. Whether you're paying them or not, you're training them. They have a skill set, and you'd be forcing compliance for them to come back and forth to court. And if they got sentenced, and if they did those jobs well, if they got sentenced, maybe you sentence them to continue doing that, or you sentence them to educational training or workshop right. training or something that is going to rehabilitate them and give them alternative to the alternative that you just talked mm -hmm. about, the alternative economy, economy exactly. that is the fast, quick money and uh, that'll get you killed sooner than later. Well, see, again, you're talking about, in my opinion, a concept that requires integrity and it requires caring about people. And these systems do not necessarily care about people. And it's value-based, though. They're right, adding but, value to our well, community. You, well, they're adding value to other people. There's some of these mm -hmm. businesses are working for people. Mm -hmm. They're working for low low wages for corporations. Sometimes you answer the phone to get customer service for a big corporation. That's an inmate mm -hmm. who has been trained to answer that phone and do customer service work mm -hmm. for a very, very low wage. So people are getting jobs, if you will, for a very low wage while they're in prison. But the jobs are not about making a community better. It's about helping a corporation lower its bottom line. Mm -hmm. So again, we got to look at whether we can have capitalist exploitation and human value at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's a difficult juggle for a lot of people. Yeah, I think the issue is that fundamentally speaking, what we're doing is trying to put lipstick on a pig with our criminal justice system. Absolutely. We are taking the Anglo-Saxon uh, medieval system from Europe and we're trying to nibble around the edges instead of just blowing the entire thing up, starting over from scratch, figuring out something that works in the 21st century and not in the 13th century. Uh, and because of that, we're, we're going to need a wholesale change in it. Because what you don't want to have is a new Lend-Lease system where as soon as you commit a crime, well, we're going to lease you out for slave labor to uh, pick up trash, cut grass, work on the chain gang, which is what existed um, after the Civil War. And you also don't want a situation which is we currently have where we fine you to death and then if you are too poor to pay the fine, you end up in, yeah, uh, end up in jail. So we're we got to find though, something to we? fix. No, we're I don't stuck, think, no, we're, we're, we're stuck, stuck trying to fix a broken system. system. You want to blow it up, right? right? Yeah, you so blow it up. top three aspects of what it should look like if you blew it up. If you, you do criminal justice, yes, if, if you, what would you do? Absolutely. Number one. If, number one. Number one. If you are arrested on a drug crime, uh -huh. you are sentenced to rehabilitation, not uh -huh. to jail time. Even if you're selling drugs Even next to school. Even if you are selling drugs next to a school, really? we send you to you rehabilitation. You want to a drug dealer I, selling drugs to I, kids. I can show you ten drug dealers. <clears throat> I, I can show you ten drug dealers I represented uh -huh. who now are real estate owners or oh, former God football players. Them. So God, on and so forth. With the proceeds of their drug sales, right? Oh, look, if however you get the capital, really? you get the capital. Bear chemicals. in our community, so you, you want to give them. You don't think Dow Chemical is making money from poisoning our you community. Can go after them you the don't think BP is doing the same thing? Does that make better? Yeah, well, look, so, no. they're, so they're even. Dow Chemical and the, and the drug dealers in our community. Oh, you, you just had you just had a winning argument. You just had a court. Number two. What's the number two thing you would do? Number two, you have the criminal justice. You have to address the mental and health care issues which result in criminal and interactions with the criminal justice system. But they're not using it because most of the people sitting up in the courthouse on Monday morning are people mm -hmm. with mental health issues, physical health issues, mm -hmm. or drug addiction issues. Mm -hmm. Number three on the list is... I didn't even got the number three, but okay, number three. I didn't got the number three on the list. Number three on the list, you have to address the economic aspect of it. 
criminal justice interactions are far too often a result of poverty. Mm -hmm. You address the poverty, you reduce the criminal just uh, criminal justice interaction that's rate. That's outside of the criminal so justice. That's not outside of it because broad. you have to have a holistic conversation. Mm -hmm. the, the same people who signed the uh, the check of the police officer, who signed the check of the DA, mm -hmm. who signed the check of the judge, also signed the check for the city council and the mayor mm -hmm. and the public policy people. Mm -hmm. So they need to be working together and because once you, you address from to the same way we get we money get for money everything from. else, we got money. We got money for stadiums, yeah. we got money for infrastructure Private projects, we got we, make them pay. Look, we, we got money for we got money for tax cuts. We mm -hmm. only don't have money for things when we don't want to do it. We, we got a twenty two trillion dollar deficit mm -hmm. because That's we right. got plenty of money for whatever we want. You we have haven't made right it a priority. To make it a priority, a budget priority, and you have to elect the right people in order to reprioritize those dollars and put them in the right place. But look, you, place. you see, look, in the crack epidemic in the 80s, we ain't have no money for treatment. We ain't have no money for nothing. Opioid epidemic hits West Virginia. We got money out the wazoo. <laughs> money just shows up. Oh my God! It's a public health issue. Opioids is a health issue. Crack was a criminal issue. Look, look, look. Look, another. Look, another. Look, another. It's true because you heard them. The opioid issue was affecting white folks, so now it's a health issue. Just like, for example, all these murders. It is affecting. These white mass murderers have mental health issues and, mm -hmm. and their father wasn't there. You know, you don't hear about mm -hmm. that when a, when a brother mm -hmm. kills Pookie at the... Well, Pookie's an old name, so I'm, I'm dating myself. Shanique or whatever. Mm -hmm. the bottom line is that... Over that crack <laughs> sale, it went bad but, 20 but, years but ago. But your debate sounded just like a city council meeting that you just two had. Because mm -hmm. you have two different values. Mm -hmm. and, it, and this issue that we have in our country in terms of what decisions to make are based on people's values. Right now, we have white supremacists and white nationalists and their values are determining how legislation is done, how policy is done. Robert mentioned that if someone was selling drugs outside of a school, maybe they should be rehabilitated. You said, no, they can't be rehabilitated. You're not going to rehabilitate. I've I seen it happen to me times. And you I gave me some examples, and I have some examples, too, yeah. of how people can be rehabilitated. They're going to do some time before you get oh, okay, to rehabilitation. Well, that's, but see, that's your, you're selling drugs that's outside your, of school. your punitive value system. I'm not saying That drugs. is the only value well, system you can so, have well, when some, you got a drug dealer dealing drugs near school. Well, They have got to be penalized. But hold on, Cleo. Inside of that same school, we prescribe no... We're mm -hmm. prescribing little black boys Ritalin and every drug you can think of and, um, and on the face boys, of the earth, and, and none of them, and we're, well, and we're not the penalizing you, those people. You are comparing Ritalin to illegal drugs, I drugs think, and opioids and, and crack had, and cocaine. I, I think if you look at the analytics, we have seen the behavior. same effects out of both. Like, how far left can you go with this? Look, you called me conservative last time. But you've been left on this criminal justice piece. My goodness, no. I'm saying drug dealers got to go to jail. Look, on, Bottom line, you can rehabilitate them later, but drug dealers got to go to jail. If they're dealing drugs near your school, you're never going to put, put what, up, uh, that's never going to pass. Look, what, 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 is that, what is that impact Well, sending somebody who is selling drugs because they have no other options to jail going to do? Because when they get out of jail, of options, they have they, fewer options. They, well, they, they, they got lots of options. They can go to school. They can get a trade, but they don't want to do that. Those who choose to sell drugs, you, you just made my same point. You mandate that. Those who Let me choose get a word to in sell why. drugs, I, I, Cleo, go ahead and we got to move on. on. I don't know. See, you work in law. I work in behavior. No, I, behavior I work health. in reality. Okay, and I'm going to well, tell you right now, if you're selling drugs near school, oh, you need to go to jail. Because well, you're you, doing that by choice. You made not do that because you poor and disenfranchised. You made that perspective. Can I talk, And that's a value decision. Well, I'm speaking for you because this is right. You're speaking for me. This is right. Well, I'm quasi 
can't articulate. I can actually speak for myself. I know you can't go on. But the point is that <laughs> I think, and Robert can, can interpret himself for himself, but two things need to happen simultaneously. I have people in my family who've been involved in drug dealing, and I've seen them when they were little bitty babies until, mm -hmm. when they, until they grew up. Into that. And I can actually tell you, we don't have time, and it's not the point of today's show, but I can tell you what happened that led to that. And what you think, what you're considering a simple decision, it's not a simple decision. There's trauma going on. There's confusion going on. There's people who need brotherhood and fellowship, and they join these these, these small communities where drug big drugs are being dealt to belong. There's sometimes a missing gap in their personal life or in their development. They have they have inadequate parents. But what does it have let, to do with choosing let, to sell drugs near me, school? Well, first of all, you one who brought the brought it near school. No, that was the basis of our okay, discussion. Okay, but the, but the bottom line is that people you know, sell drugs. Period. People are selling drugs wherever they can sell them. They don't. There's not a drug that only gets done near to school. To kids in schools is never. But my point, my point before you go back with your, your value system, mm -hmm. is that we need to do two things, and this is fantasy land because the society does not care about this community. But we need to do not just lock them up and throw away the key, but we need to start immediately with mental health. We start immediately with some kind of transformation. So every drug dealer. All right, all right, all right, all right fellas, come on. Let's, we got to move Protect on. Protect the young people. All right, uh, let's yes. move on. We got to keep moving on to the headlines. This is a great discussion. Just, just like he said. We got to keep, keep this going into an after, after dark oh, session. Socialists on this issue. All right, headlines. Let's move on. The Royal Oaks, Michigan <laughs> police officer who stopped and questioned a black man because a white woman said <laughs> he was staring at her has resigned. The woman called 911 and reported feeling uncomfortable after 20-year-old <laughs> Devin Myers circled her vehicle on August 13th. Myers says he had parked his car and was walking to a restaurant when the, when he was stopped by police. Royal Oaks Police Chief Conrad O'Donohue, the most Irish name I've heard, announced the resignation <laughs> of the city council at a city council meeting, saying that the officer quit Friday when faced with the consequences of his, uh, his actions. O'Donohue said that the stop shouldn't have lasted 20 minutes and that the officer shouldn't have asked Myers for his right. identification. Also in headlines, Montgomery's first black mayor. The numbers are in, and it appears that Steve Reed and David Woods are headed to a runoff for Montgomery's mayor's seat. If he wins, Reed will be the capital city's first black mayor. Montgomery is one of only three cities in the deep south, that, uh, in deep southern states, that has a population of over 100,000 or more, and that has not had an African-American representing them in the highest executive position. According to the latest census numbers, black people make up about 60% of the city's population. The runoff election is set for October 8th. We're going to take a break. We'll be back uh, with more discussion on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you've heard me talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at over $340 billion. Now, we know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, which with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Now, until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. 
and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants. And folks, is it rocket science? It's incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords. And you can get in on the action. Folks at 420 Real Estate decided to do something special for Roland Martin Unfiltered Family. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks. Right now, you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200. That's right, 200 bucks up to $10,000. And let me recap, this is a $340 billion worldwide industry, and it's growing. You can participate with as little as 200 bucks. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. Get in the game and get in the game now. Delvin Carter, the fashion designer who designs everything from shoes to jewelry. Recently, he sat down with Roland to talk about what, it, what he does and why he does it. Delvin Carter, welcome to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, thank you for having me, sir. How you doing? Uh, doing great. So I, uh, I saw your interview on The Breakfast Club, and I, what I was intrigued by was the fact that something that we talk a lot about uh, on uh, this show, this being a uh, black-owned, independent uh, media outlet focusing on, you know, not asking other folks uh, for permission to do what we do. Uh, and that's what I thought was also intriguing about what you are doing uh, with Sia Collective. And, and, and your deal is there's something we can't make. And so uh, where did it all begin for you? You know, what was that moment where you said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to actually build it myself and not actually uh, wait for other people. So that moment, that's a great question. So that moment happened for me. I was still um, enlisted in the United States Coast Guard. And at the time, um, I had I was living in New York, and my daughters, because I'm divorced, I was divorced at the time, I'm married now, but um, they were living here, and I was living in New York, and I just was like, you know what, I can't continue to live like this um, to have my kids have to only see me on holidays and stuff like that. So I, I got the military to transfer me back to the Bay Area, and when I got here, I said, you know what, I need to make extra money. So I was always good at customizing shoes, which is like taking them apart, remaking them. And I had a lot of orders, and I'm in my military uniform at the post office, and I have like 10 boxes of custom orders that I have to send out to the clients. And I'm sitting on the line, not sitting on line, but I'm standing on line, and I'm looking at the, the cashier in the post office. And this is no knock to postal workers, but I looked at him, and I said, you know, when, that, when he was a kid, did he tell his mom, you know, I want to work for the post office when I get older? And, you know, and me as a parent with, with daughters, and I want to tell them, you know, follow your dreams. But here I am compromising my dream, you know, uh, just for a paycheck. So it was at that moment in the line, I said, you know what? I have to start making my way out of the Coast Guard and making my way uh, as, you know, as what I feel like my God-given talent was. And that was the design, clothing, shoes, and, and things of that nature. So it was at that moment at the post office where I said, you know what? I have to, I, I can't be scared because I don't want to be a hypocrite as a parent. I want to tell my child, like, you can do this. You, it's okay to chase your dreams. And if I didn't, if I didn't like give up an 11 year military career where I only had nine years left to get a retirement check, um, I felt like I, I would be a hypocrite to tell them, no, chase your dreams because it was never my dream to be in the military. It was my dream 
um, to be a designer, but I made a promise with my sister if I didn't make it in fashion by the age of 25 that I would give the, you know, the, the armed forces a, a, a try, and that's what happened. And one of the things that I, that I, th I think is, is interesting about that, again, you know, we're living in uh, a, a time where uh, folks uh, want to take chances, want to take risks, but also there are people who have fear. Uh, and you talked about, uh, you know, seizing the moment. And so uh, how did you explain to others who I guarantee you there, I, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind there are people who came to you and said, dude, you crazy. You're absolutely out of right. your mind. What's wrong with you? You you can't you can't do this. Or you 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 actually think you can make shoes and clothes and shades and everything else? You you're out of your mind. And so, how did you respond to folks who doubted you, who may have been haters, who had fear themselves? All right. So when you're in the military, it's pretty much you're just a uh, you're a prisoner. You know what I'm saying? You have the same exact mentality as a person in jail. Because the first and fifteenth, you know you're getting paid. Uncle Sam's telling you when you're going to your doctor's appointment, such and such. So we have that same kind of uh, uh, mind state that we we are like prisoners in a way. So when I was going to get out of the Coast Guard, um, a lot of my uh, a lot of my military uh, brothers were like, "Man, you know the, the economy's not good, man." They were so they were more scared for me than I was scared. But I was I was terrified because see the thing is when I moved out here. Um, uh, I thought I was going to stay in for, for 20 years, but after, um, I was here for a year, they tried to move me again to New York city. Um, and I was like, I promised my daughters I would never move again. So I said, listen, I'm not going to take that billet. Cause that's what we call it. I'm not going to take that billet. You're just gonna have to let me out my contract. Cause if you deny your orders, they, they'll let you out of your contract. You'll still get your honorable discharge. But at that time, Roland, I only had $1,300 in my bank account. You know, and I had my apartment was thirteen hundred at the time, and my my car note was a thousand dollars. So I didn't even have enough. It was like at that moment, getting giving up this career, and then it's either what do you want? You want to live in your car? You want to live in your house? So and that, but at that moment, it, it sunk in with me. I cried. I'm not gonna lie. I have a daughter who passed away when she was eleven months, and when I made this decision, I went to a gravesite. And I said, uh, Daily, I need you to watch over daddy. I'm going to do something that's super scary, and I need you to be my guardian angel. And I said, you know what? I'm going to trust the process. So I uh, I told him I want to get out. I got out, had 1300 to my name, and I just started taking a lot of custom orders. And I started taking a lot of orders. And the way my discharge was, it was so bad that they – because I got a hardship discharge, which I didn't get unemployment. So I didn't even have unemployment to pay my rent. So I literally was living like off of my talent alone. And I said, all I needed to do was to last four months until I could go to college because I had the GI bill and the GI bill would pay me, um, since I live in the Bay area, it would give me $4,000 a month just to go to school. And it would help me And the 4,000 is your rent money. So I was like, if I can make it four months, I'll be good. I'll be in school and I won't have to worry about looking for a job. So I actually was able to do that. I was able to maintain, um, uh, you know, and not be homeless. But I told myself at that moment, I will never, ever live check to check. I will never, ever allow a company or an organization to have this much power over me where I'm crying because I'm a check away from being homeless. You know, so at that moment, I said no more reckless spending. I started sacrificing. That's one thing people don't do. I started eating 
and living as if I was poor. Even when I started making money, I would eat top ramen. And then I would only once a week treat myself to like steak or shrimp. You know, and then it came a point where I invented this rubber dye where it could dye like the uh, clear soles of a shoe like this and it can make it red, yellow, any color and it wouldn't come out. In one month, I made $50,000 off of that dye. And um, so now I had a $50,000 cushion in my savings account. And from there, I became a religious saver and not just spending money. And I, and I knew from that moment that if I wanted to get a loan from a company, to, to start my own business that it wouldn't happen because your oppressor is not going to finance your freedom. So I just said, I'm going to keep saving and keep saving because anything that I want to do and want to achieve is going to have to come up my blood, sweat and tears because a, a, a bank is not going to give, they'll give me a hundred thousand dollars school loan, but they're not going to give me a $15,000 business loan. You know? So I, I, I recognized that early and I said, I'm not even going to put myself in that position to beg somebody to help me chase my dream. So, I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad that I already knew how to sacrifice, being that I was raised by a single black mother and I watched her watch work three jobs, you know, uh, sleep only four hours a day. So because I seen that, I was already prepared for it unknowingly. So I never even struggled when I had that $1,300. I never had a point after that where I was almost homeless. I was scared because of what I had financially and what was ahead of me, but I never even struggled and I, and I went and it took like two months, and I and from there I, I started making the most money I ever made in my life. Going through all of that um, also uh, means that you have to do more than one thing. Look, the reality is same thing when it comes to uh, doing this show. There were people who said you got to be crazy. Uh, you know, you know why, why, why won't you watch? Why, why won't you go t try to go to CNN or MSNBC or try to work at one of these networks? And I said, mm, I'm not interested in asking asking somebody else permission. Can I go cover this? But what it also means, though, is that you have to learn different aspects of the business. Um, and I think, to be perfectly honest, Devlin, I think there are a lot of people out there who say they want to be entrepreneurs, who say they want to have their own thing but don't really understand the level of sacrifice and commitment where you may have to, where you have to, uh, may, may not be able to pay yourself, but pay your staff. I mean, look, I'm in that position right now. Uh, I live off of my speeches and I said, look, we've got to build this thing up. And, and I try to get people to understand that, yes, there's flexibility, there's freedom, but one of the greatest things about being an entrepreneur is you have to sacrifice. And you have to do more than one thing. And you just can't say, well, we'll just hire somebody else to do it. Now the money's not there to hire somebody to do it. You got to learn it. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I had to learn how to be my own photographer. I always was good at marketing. Even in, in, in uh, I graduated from the Fashion Institute for Design and Merchandising in San Fran. And I was uh, elected to be on the elite marketing group because I just knew how to market myself, market any product. So I never had that issue, but I'm also a workaholic and I probably just like you, I don't like waiting on anybody nope. for anything. <laughs> no, <I am> very <laughs> exactly. I can tell, like, I'm very impatient. Like if it's something I want to do, I do it like that. I'm probably one of the only Instagram pages that can post like four times a day. And I'm always posting new stuff because I'm constantly working. Like I'm a father of four kids. I have three daughters and one son and that's the only thing in the world that means anything to me i don't care about going out to clubs meeting people it's making sure that my kids have a better life than i had 
you know, and the, and the sacrifice thing that these people say they want this life. They want to be an entrepreneur. No, they don't. They just look at your page and say, oh, this guy's making some money. I want to do that. But that's not how it works. You actually have it's so much more work that goes on behind the scene than the pretty pictures and the pretty filters that you see on social media. Like they, they're not up with me last night when I didn't start working till four in the morning right. and had to wake up at six thirty to take my daughters to school and then unload a truck of shoes that just came in a couple of hours ago. You know, they 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 can't do that. Most of these people are lazy. Like we come this new generation, they're lazy. They want everything handed to them. Everything that I've done is off of my own research. I've learned how to source. I've taken 15-hour flights to China to go and visit factories, walk around the whole country to find the things that I wanted. Because I know that the more research that I do, the more the more possibilities of financial streams I can do. If I, Even if I didn't design clothes right now, I can start my own sourcing company and have people make their own goods and I can take a percentage as a middleman because of all of the hard work and the late work that I went through. And that's why when I tell people, it's a, it's a smack in the face when you tell a black-owned brand that their price is too high or, or you should give out free stuff because Gucci does that. Well, I'm not Gucci and I don't have a million dollar, three million dollar budget just for marketing. See, they don't understand when for us, like me, is if I make fifty thousand dollars this month, I have to turn it right back into the company so I can keep the company afloat right. to keep making things. If I give ten thousand dollars a product away and it doesn't do anything for my business like that, because a lot of these celebrities, they'll take the stuff from you, they'll never post it, and even if they wear it, they won't even tag you in it. You cannot teach business with free stuff. Right. You know, you can't. Well, well look, look, the reason I fully understand that is because uh, is like what we do. I mean, I've had people who come to me and they say, man, we would love for you uh, to uh, to do your show from our event. And I go, well, you do know that that means getting on an airplane, uh, hotel rooms, that means flying staff, we have equipment, we're paying for stuff. And so it's not just, hey, just pop up. No, there's a cost involved. Uh, there have been other people who have understood that and they've actually paid us. And then what was also interesting is when you want to do something, then people say, well, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, why is it that much? Well, because that's actually what it is. And so, I mean, it is a business. And I think that one of the things that I, that, look, my grandmother had a catering business. And then, you know, I worked in it since I was seven years old. And I saw uh, how different things work and how I felt she often would undercharge folks uh, as opposed to saying, no, you're going to pay the full freight. And this is why I said, to, when me and my brother, we, we took the business over later. This is what I said to him. I said, you know what? If somebody's going to give me $20,000 worth of headaches, they're going to pay me $20,000. Because what's not going to happen, you're not going to give me $20,000 worth of headaches, and you're paying me $5,000, and now I'm mad as hell because I'm dealing with all your BS. And that's just sort of how I operate. And, and I will tell somebody no as opposed to go through with that because, again, I know the work goes in it. I know what I bring to the table. And so, and the other thing is when you talk about wanting something for free, you know, I, you know, I, I keep telling our audience, you know, look, we've been building this show. We've took, taken our YouTube subs from 170,000 to now more than 350,000 in less than a year. Uh, we are averaging, you know, 8 million total views on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. But what I tell our audience also is like, look, we are providing the service, but we also need them to be financial supporters of the show because they can't say, man, we need this but then don't want to pay for it because it's like, yo, well, you pay that cable bill, you're actually paying CNN. 
You're paying MSNBC because they're getting a certain fee per subscriber every time a uh, person turns that cable television on. And so it's just trying to get people to understand that. And I think that's that's what's critically important. Yeah, and one, one thing about like what you touched on is one thing is people think because they pay you for a service that they own you. And that's that's the thing we have to, to get out. Like, for instance, somebody be like, OK, well, I spent uh, two hundred dollars on a shoe or something. And they feel like they could talk down to you. They could be like, well, if it was Nike, I would have got it in two days. Well, you know what I do? I do the same thing you do. I was like, well, what's your order number? OK, here you go. Here's your refund. Because one thing about me and the way I was raised, I was raised under the mom code which is M-O-M, morals over money. I will not let you demoralize me for a financial gain. Everything that I'm doing, I love that I do it by myself because I don't have to deal with the BS. When you're in the military, you can't, you cannot not deal with the BS because if somebody outranks you, they talk to you how they want. They try, but, you know, um, they'll try to talk to you how they want to because they know they outrank you and you have to listen to them. Right. You know, and, and because of that, I'm not going to, I didn't leave a career to be a free man, in a, in a sense, to have you treat me the same way that I that I did not like to be treated already, just because you put uh, you spent a little bit of money. You know, I'd rather not have your money. It's like you said, I'd rather not deal with the headache. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so much more people who appreciate it and, and respect it. The thing is, between us and people of color, we have to start seeing value in our own skin, in those relationships. You know, like on The Breakfast Club, I said that, you know, the biggest threat to black-owned businesses and stuff is black people. We're always so quick to say we need this, we need that, but then we don't pay for it. You know, like, you see a show like yours. Like, I'm, you, I'm sure you probably have a Patreon or something where people can donate money. Yeah. You know, it's people probably watch your show every day, and they never uh, put money in your Patreon account. When they can put $2 a month, that $2 a month from 100,000 people, that's enough to keep you going. No, you're absolutely and pay right. Your staff and even get better equipment. Yep. But they don't understand that independence. Like, $2 is nothing. As much garbage I buy, like, $2 is nothing. If you are watching something like me, I watch your show from time to time when I'm when I'm shipping orders. And I'm going to start paying into your Patreon because I'm not just going to be about it. I'm going to actually, I'm not just going to talk about it, I'm actually be about it. Because it is true. We don't know. And for some of us who are watching right now, they may not know, like, oh, man, you know, I never thought about it. You know, Roland Martin's 100% independent. I should start paying. If we could pay for Netflix and Hulu and all those other things, why can't we pay for our own brother to give us the truth, the type of media coverage that we do not get? You know what I'm saying? Yep. We have to start supporting those things. And those, because it, our people of, we are the only racial group that does not believe in group economics. And it's interesting. And we're like the number one shoppers. And it's interesting. We're the number one consumers of everything, but we don't right. believe in group economics. You made that point. I, I've been saying that for years. And so, for instance, um, there are numerous times when uh, I go into black-owned businesses, uh, restaurants, and things along those lines. Uh, I remember I was at two partners in barbecue place in Dallas. And uh, the brother who owned, he said, no, Roland, I got it. I said, no, no. I said, I'm going to pay for it. I said, because the reality is that plate, that fork, I said, you got employees, I said, I'm going to pay for it. Uh, I said, you know, I said, you know no, no problem whatsoever. And the people who will say, well, you know, hold up, how, you know, you got, you got free, if somebody's giving you something for free, I said, no, what you don't understand is, I said, that brother has a business. And, and, and what I try to get people to understand is that when, when, just like for you, I'm sure the people who come to your, go to your site and they're like, well, why is it this much? Guess what? When they walk into Walmart, or when they go to Macy's, when they go to Saks Fifth Avenue, 
They don't ask the question, how much is it? They say, what the tag say? And then if there's no tag, they'll scan, they'll scan something and they say, this is what it is. And so my deal is, I, I'm right there with you. We've got to stop looking for the hookup with black-owned businesses and understand that they are a business just like any other business. Last question for you. H how did the, uh, just very curious, uh, obviously the Breakfast Club has a huge platform. Uh, mm -hmm. how, did that, how did that change uh, your business? Uh, did people all of a sudden, did you, all of a sudden start hitting you up uh, because they finally, so some, some people say, man, just like me, I didn't realize uh, you existed. It was like, yo, I gotta get this brother on. And so what was the reaction? What was, what was the, fa the fallout from it? Uh, so, um, so my my uh, FBCC page, I had 148,000 followers. I have like 185,000 now. My clothing line page, Society Collective, went from 30,000 to 85,000. The funny thing is, though, I get messages now. Some guy DM me a few. Hey, man, I seen you at the Breakfast Club. Super inspirational. I've been following your page for years. You know what? I'm gonna go buy something. I'm like. I didn't even respond, so I'm like, you've been following me for years. You've been seeing the hard work I've been putting in. You didn't want to buy nothing until I was on the Breakfast Club. So the Breakfast Club <laughs> is what made you be like, you know, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. validated oh, you. you, you, oh, you legit now. Like I've been legit for the last five years killing stuff, <laughs> but because I'm on the Breakfast Club now, you want to spend some money with me. Like you've been following my page for five years, you done seen me go through struggles. You done seen me keep consistently bringing this. You done seen me do free programs for the kids. I teach young kids and children of color how to sew for free. I teach them how to do fashion design, and I don't charge the parents. And the sad part is most of those parents don't even come back to the store and even buy a T-shirt. I feed their kids. I told them I don't want no money from you. I take their kids on field trips, and this is all on my own dime because nobody did this for me. And one thing that I want to be a part of the change, I want to spark that change behind me. Those young kids coming up, Maybe one day they'll be a big fashion designer. They'll be like, hey, man, Devlin Carter was my teacher. He taught me when I was eight years old. There now look go. at what I'm doing. You know, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but the Breakfast Club definitely brought a lot. But the good thing about the Breakfast Club is I get celebrities hitting me up now, and they're like, yo, I love your stuff, and I don't want it for free. I want to pay for it. You know, so at least I'm getting <laughs> Like, I had Shaq hit me up last night, so I'm working on a shoe for Shaq. He's like, hey, man. I want, I want you to make me some shoes. I buy in bulk. I don't want it cheap, but can you make a size 22? <laughs> I was like, I hit, my, I hit my factory up. I said, hey, can we make, um, he wants like this shoe right here. I was like, um, can we make a size 22 in this sole? He was like, yeah, we could make it. So right now we're working on, you know, making Shaq his own shoes of my shoe, which is crazy for an independent company to be able to make a damn size 22 shoe for Shaq. But <laughs> Love he's it. real cool. He's like, man, I don't want no discounts, man, and I want 20 pairs of each. You hey, know, so hey, that man. was a blessing. Hey, that's what I'm saying. So, uh, again, uh, congrats. Tell pe give, give people the website again. Okay, so the website is S-I-A-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E.com. That's Sia Collective, which stands for Somewhere in America. And I have my own app where you can shop on the app, and it's called Somewhere in America. That's the app, and the page is uh, SIA Collective. So S-I-A underscore collective, at, um, that's at Instagram. So that's the Instagram uh, handle and, in FBCC Bay Area. And you're based, uh, where are you based? I'm based in uh, the Bay Area, California, but I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Okay, well, uh, hopefully when I get to the Bay Area, our paths will, paths will cross. Dylan, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, and good luck.
All right, thank you, man. Appreciate you having me on, man. Stay blessed and keep doing what you're doing. I'm a huge fan, and I'm going to donate to that Patreon. And I'll definitely be uh, going to some... Well, actually, we have a setup where we don't even use Patreon. Go right to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. And so I definitely okay. uh, will download your app uh, and check this stuff out uh, and pick up a couple of things. I appreciate it, brother. You take care. All right, you too, brother. All right. All right, folks, Life Lux Jazz is the experience of a lifetime delivering top-notch music in an upscale destination. The weekend-long event is held at the Omnia Day Club Los Cabos, which is nestled on the Sea of Cortez in the celebrity playground of Los Cabos, Mexico. The Life Lux Jazz Experience offers the ultimate getaway for discerning jazz aficionados by pairing an upscale international destination with luxury accommodations, fine hot cuisine, top-shelf libations, breathtaking golf, exhilarating spa, health and wellness options, and much more, while showcasing some of the biggest names in entertainment. The second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience continues to build upon its success and heritage with jazzing around Los Cabos, a celebratory expansion of accomplishing its goal of sharing all the finest the destination has to offer, including daytime excursions and many concerts, including the Spirit of Jazz Gospel Brunch and Jazz Sunset Cruise. Confirmed guests, comedian actor Mark Curry, Gerald Albright, Alex Bouman, Raul Madon, A Cognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalem, Average White Band, Donnie McClurkin, Shalea, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, and Ernest Quarles. Man, that's a hell of a lineup. For more information, visit the website at lifeluxjazz.com. It's lifeluxjazz.com. Also, we'll be broadcasting Roller Martin Unfiltered uh, from Los Cabos uh, the, the Thursday and Friday. And so you definitely want to be in the house, folks. It is an amazing experience. I can't wait for it all to happen. So go to lifeluxjazz.com to sign up today. The fourth white supremacist was arrested and convicted for his role in an attack on a 20-year-old African-American man during the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. He was sentenced Tuesday to a little more than two years in prison. Uh, Tyler Watkins Davis of Middle, uh, Middleburg, Florida, entered what is known as an Alfred plea in February on malicious wounding, uh, on a malicious wounding charge in a vicious and wildly seen beating of DeAndre Harris, a former special education instructional assistant. The plea meant that Davis, who belonged to the extremist group League of the South, announced prosecutors had sufficient evidence to convict him if he had gone to trial. Even though Davis's assault on Harris probably resulted in Harris's worst injury, he was given less than less time behind bars, two years and one month, than the three other defendants already sentenced. All right, all right we'll go to you, uh, Scott, mm -hmm. because the Alfred plea uh, mm -hmm. is where you're saying, look, I'm not admitting guilt, but I am saying that there's enough evidence to convict me if I had gone to trial. The judge made mm -hmm. the point that because he only struck the assailant one time and he didn't mm -hmm. stomp him and beat the hell out of him, uh, that that's why they gave him a lighter sentence. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think about that justification, even though the one time that he hit the assailant resulted in a head gash and eight, eight stitches being required? Yeah. yeah, it's totally discretionary on the judge, and uh, this judge certainly felt that way, but there seems to be great inequity, because while the other two were sentenced, and I believe they tried one of them, mm -hmm. the defendants in that case, uh, they got much, uh, they got a longer sentence. Uh, here, the Alfred plea had a lot to do with this. You do an Alfred plea, the government agrees because they got problems with their case, and you got a defendant that won't admit guilt, 
but doesn't want to go to trial, and so you, you, it's a little bit of both. But he admits that if he went to trial, they have enough evidence that could convict them, just for our listening audience. Uh, but he did the most damage. Mm -hmm. But the Alford plea saved him, and that's the rationale the judge gave. I disagree with the rationale, quite frankly. They all all been sentenced the same because they acted in concert. You can mm -hmm. see from the video, they acted in concert, and they acted in, in, in a conspiracy. As a result, the level of damage and the level of um, uh, criminal intent, if you will, is irrelevant. It's all the same. And uh, had I been the sitting judge, I certainly would have treated that that way, especially it being a race-based attack. And what we all know about Charlottesville and what happened shortly after that, where a white woman was killed fighting Nazis in Charlottesville in 2018. Just, uh, just really tough. Really tough. Uh, all right, and, and Cleo, on that point, I, I've tried plenty of cases where an African-American bust somebody outside the head one time, and it was charged as an aggravated assault. Uh, if they did it part of a gang, then they would uh, charge them, as you said, in concert with others, mm -hmm. and they would get 10, or the mandatory minimum would be 10 years, or, 10, or 20 years to serve 10, mm -hmm. uh, credit for time served, something along those lines. What does it say about the inequities of the criminal justice system? Well, early in the show, <clears throat> you, you made a passage that said, the projection... The protection, say it for The complexion for there protection. It is, the complexion for mm -hmm. protection. Clearly, that's an um, issue here, but I also think that the people that were defending this guy were concerned about precedence. Mm -hmm. It's a precedence to make sure somebody don't get as much as the others, particularly if they did the worst damage. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When there's a white supremacist, a white nationalist, and bias context behind the whole thing and driving the whole thing, because if they had their way and it wasn't for the national coverage, they probably would have all got away with it. And if it wasn't for the video coverage of the mm -hmm. whole thing. And remember, the, vi the victim, the complaining witness in these three cases, he was tried yeah. and, and absolved of any wrongdoing, but he was arrested and yeah. tried because uh, he defended himself, I essentially. Remember. I remember that. But, you know, th this is another cliché. Um, the, the Alfred plea possibly was a good strategy, but also being white was a strategy. That's, you know, that, that's always a really good strategy. Yeah. Going to, and it, I, I recommend that for black folks. If you can be white when you go to trial, you'll probably cut the sentence down by a third. Okay, it's that time again. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fall. Those are alive. I'm white. I got you, huh? All right, today in Crazy Ass White People News, 18-year-old Matthew Bernard of Neeling, Virginia, was arrested on three counts of first-degree murder this week, according to Pittsville County Sheriff's Office. But before he went down, he led police on a low-speed, naked chase. Here's young Matthew. apprehend him and take him to a local hospital for treatment. I wonder how this story would have ended if Matthew was black. Cleo? Exactly. <laughs> well, there is a story. Because might... the police are running from him, and uh, the police are armed, and he's chasing the police. Look, Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> look at it's, oh, it's ridiculous. And he's committed another crime right there. It's ridiculous. And the police are there. He has the stick in his hand and then hit him with the stick. But, but he has an AR-15 in his left hand, he and he is chasing all. this man. Well, see, I can't laugh as hard as y'all because even though you ask a question, there's a real case where mm -hmm. there was a young man named Anthony Hill in Decatur, Georgia, 
who was 27 years old, who was a veteran, who was who was running around in the days, canatonic, mm -hmm. new, didn't have on nothing, and had, of course, he had no gun or nothing because mm -hmm. he was just as new as this guy, and he was murdered by the cops. Mm. So people can be treated differently. His name was Anthony Hill. He was 27, Decatur, Georgia, if you want to look this up, since it's no longer... It never did make national coverage, but no. it actually occurred, and he was murdered under the same... But, but this guy didn't kill nobody. I think it's important to make the contrast Yeah, this here. dude killed the three people. who was 27-year-old didn't kill nobody. He was a veteran. He was in good, good standing with, with, as, as somebody in the military. He never hurt anyone, and he was murdered by the cops. This dude killed three people and was allowed to run around like he did up in the cops' face. And commit another crime. Yes. while the police were uh, in light pursuit of him. Mm -hmm. But right there in the but video. He didn't get tased, he didn't get busted outside the head, they didn't throw a rock at him. And people will, will argue some of us up and down that there's no racism in this country and that we're delusional and we're race baiters. And why, do you have to no talk, why do you have to bring race into every conversation? <laughs> why do you have... Why, yeah. I, I don't even see color. Yeah. You know, we live in a colorblind society. Well, ask Laquan McDonald's family. Laquan McDonald, while he had on clothes, he was walking away from the police, clearly catatonic, clearly high on something, mm -hmm. clearly not all there, right? Not sure right. whether he had a weapon or not, and he got killed. But I want to respond to something Robert said earlier, kind of in jest, about when you go to court, be white. Well, Michael Jackson did it. <laughs> and he wasn't very successful. So, you know, stop. it don't always work. Matter of fact, he got arrested and, 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 and made it look bad after he died. Mm -hmm. They ain't even finished with him. Mm -hmm. Well, we will monitor this situation to see what things Which are one? going... Uh, <laughs> we're going to monitor what happens to Matthew Bernard. And we'll find right, out right. if he's actually convicted of these murders or if he is given a trophy and taken to Burger King. Because you never know in these situations. Or considered What's... mentally incompetent. You know, it's the video Incom games. Incompetent. It, it's video exactly. games. That's the problem with video exactly. games. Exactly. All right, in memoriam today, Greg Hinton, a Chicago native who became the Democratic Party's first chief diversity officer, has died at the age of 66. Hinton was hired in 2011 to ensure diversity of staffing and vendor contracts at the Democratic National Committee, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and Democratic National Convention Committee. Virginia Roll, chair of the DNC Black Caucus, said Hinton made them accountable for diversity, and you could see his impact at the 2012 convention in Charlotte. North Carolina. He was survived by his son, Kyle Hinton, Christopher Brinton, Greg Brookings Hinton, and his daughter, Alfreda Brookings Hinton, as well as two granddaughters. We'll keep the entire Hinton family in our prayers. Also in memoriam, we also mourn the loss of fashion icon Isabel Toledo. She presented her first collection in 1985, but her fashion grabbed the national spotlight after Michelle Obama wore some of her looks at her husband's 2009 inauguration. She was an independent designer, but served briefly as creative director for Anne Klein. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Toledo family as well as her loved ones. Uh, that concludes this edition of Roland Martin Unfiltered. I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to join Roland Martin when he returns tomorrow. Also, if you like what you see, go to RolandMartin.com and join the Bring the Funk fan club to support great journalism. Until next time, I'm Robert Patillo. Enjoy your evening.
You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Hey everybody, this is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. And while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble. Yes, I am. Because Roland Martin's the one, he will do it backwards, he will do it on the side. He messes everybody up when he gets into the wobble. Because he doesn't know how to do it, so he does it backwards. And it messes me up every single time. So, I'm working on it. I got it. You got Roland Martin. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Mac Wiles, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, fam, want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered, the blackest show on all of digital cable and broadcast. Check out our audio podcast. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. Press play.
you want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered, youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. Hi, this is Essence Atkins, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey yo, Peace World, what's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, my name is Brisha Webb, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Ow. Well, I like a nice filter usually, but we can be unfiltered. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan, and if you're ready, you are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What's up? I'm Lance Gross and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Hey fam, want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered, the blackest show on all of digital cable and broadcast. Check out our audio podcast. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. Press play. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Sick. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.